all of New Jersey had the same idea that you had on this 60-degree sunny day, right? To go see the Rockefeller tree. So me, I'm like, I'm not going to pay for a parking garage. I'm a guy who finds a spot on the street. That's the way I roll, right? So now we're driving around, taking forever, trying to find that spot on the street. It doesn't happen. Finally, I give in. I'm like, forget it. I'll pull in the garage. I knew it was going to be like 45 bucks, right? So you pull in the garage, and then you start walking. We were packed in like sardines. I mean, we're still like seven or eight blocks out. And I mean, literally packed in like sardines. I'm holding on to my kids. My wife is holding on to my kids. You know, they're really little at this time. And, and uh, I swear we're going to lose one. I'm like, we're never going to see them again. They're just going to get lost in the mess. And uh, in the midst of it, like now we're just a couple blocks away. I'm like, don't give up, family. We can do this, right? We're going to get to the tree. And uh, so we're packed in and like the intersection is just a mess of people. And there is cars trying to get through and they're trying to direct the people. And there's this little, little lady in front of me. And all along, I'm thinking to myself, somebody is going to lose it. Literally, like, somebody's going to lose it. Because I'm not claustrophobic, and I feel like I'm going to lose it. Somebody is going to lose it. Sure enough, the little lady in front of me, she begins to lose it. Kid you not. She's like crying out, get me out of here. She's saying to her husband, get me out of here. We got to go. We got to go. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I'm starting to feel nervous for her. Like, I literally think that she's going to lose it right there. You know, you can feel her heart beating through her chest. And she's going crazy. Finally, though, we stick with it. We get to that moment, like we're packed in. Look, there it is, the Rockefeller Center tree. (laughs) And like, you know, people are trying to keep your ground, you know, you're like picking the kids up and you're just kind of like in this moment of awe and wonder, you're like, ah, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth all the distractions. It was worth all the fight because now I have this moment of like embracing Christmas for all it's worth. And you realize, like, in order to truly engage in that moment of awe and wonder before the tree, you couldn't just put yourself there. Like, you had to endure all of the distractions along the way, right? You had to go through all of the junk in order to get there. But yet, through all of those distractions, through all of the junk, through all of the stuff of real life, the stuff of earth, that is somehow connected to that moment. You can't, you can't pull those things apart. And that's where you realize, like, even the moments that feel very otherworldly, that feel very heaven-like, are still very much connected to the stuff of this world, to the stuff of this earth, to the distractions, to the headaches, to all of that that we feel. And I think Scripture in many ways, tells us that this is the way life is. And so more than anything this morning, as we begin the journey into Advent, as all of us want this Advent season perhaps to be something wonderful in that moment of awe and wonder, I'd like us to take a little look at Scripture to see something that's filled with distractions, that's very earthy, that yet it's filled with faith, yes, but it's also filled with a lot of doubt and a lot of questions and a lot of headaches along the way. So if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. It's the third book in the New Testament. Um, Something about this Gospel, Luke is a doctor, he's a physician, so he's a detailed guy, right? He's going to give a lot of details in telling the story of Jesus. In Luke, he's writing to um, someone by the name of Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus is, but with a name like that, she has to be gorgeous, right? (laughs) 
um, Theophilus, kind of God lover is what that means. So maybe it's a person, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's you and I, right? This is a moment for us to kind of step into this very earthy kind of story. And Luke is going to go through like 30 verses of just real life stuff before he even mentions anything about Jesus, before he mentions anything about the birth of Jesus. Um, So let's start in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And this is kind of a Jewish reality television show going on here, okay? Um, It's it's called Shofar Dynasty, all right? There's kind of fathers, brothers, and sons. They have long beards. And um, they they made these things that let off these amazing sounds um, because they were priests, you know, who would blow these shofars. And they, they made these amazing sounds, and they made a lot of money off of it. Word is they would even sit around the dinner table and pray together um, at the end of the reality TV show. It was a wonderful way to give testimony to God. I was just kidding. All right, that didn't work so well. Anyways, here we go. Reality TV. Verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Let's pause here. Those few verses are packed with stuff, packed with stuff. You've got King Herod on the scene, right? Now we have the Roman Empire that's in charge, but the Roman Empire would place these kings in certain provincial districts to kind of keep rule, right? Don't let these Jews get out of control, collect taxes. You can even collect some for yourself. Herod was kind of a, he was a maniac kind of guy. He was actually very paranoid. Um, he's the one who, remember when he heard about the birth of Jesus, he was going to have all the, had all the, the babies killed, right? And so Mary and Joseph, they had to flee to Egypt. But yeah, this guy built all these amazing things. And, and, um, and so he's kind of a puppet leader though for like the Roman territory. And so there's all this like government stuff going on, but like nothing's really going on. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't happen in our world anymore. Um, but that's what's happening here. And so you've got all this like social climate stuff going on. Um, and then you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah, he's, he's from this Abijah priestly line. So you had 24 different groupings of priests we would learn in the Old Testament. And this is one of the groupings of Abijah, okay? And uh, history tells us around this time, there's probably 18,000 priests in Israel, so Zechariah, he's just, he's just one of the priests in Israel doing his priestly duty, right? Much like all of us, the priesthood of believers, right? One of many just doing our earthly things as we go out and do the things that God calls us to do. Verse 6 says, they were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. And so these people are very devout, right? They're devoted to God. They're, they're trying to be attentive to what God is doing in the world, and they want to participate with him in the midst of that. This is a beautiful thing. But, but verse 7, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Wow, thanks, God. Thanks, God, that I'm serving in this priestly role. My whole heart is devoted to you. I'm out there striving to do what I can do to be a priest. And this is what I get in return? No children? My wife and I? Is, is this the way that life works for us? 
This was like economic and social disaster for this couple. Economically, because there was no social security system in place to take care of these people. When you became old, you had large families to take care of you. You had children to take care of you, and so their economic situation is a mess. How in the world are we going to survive this? Socially, if you didn't have kids. There was this taboo, especially amongst religious people. There was this taboo kind of placed on you that there must be some undealt with sin that's present in your life. So hey, Zachariah and Elizabeth, nice job doing the priestly thing. We all know there's something that you're not really dealing with. So they're being talked about. They've got to live with this thing going on around them, and that's where you say to yourself, "Wow, this is where Luke wants the Christmas story to begin." In the everyday stuff of Earth, in the distractions, in the frustrations, yes, in the faith, but also in the half doubts and the frustrations that come from people in this type of position. Verse eight. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. So he's one of twenty-four orders, and so、um, it would be typical for an order to have to serve in the temple. Twice a year for a week, so you can imagine Zachariah in the midst of all that he's dealing with. All right, Elizabeth, see you later. I got to travel to Jerusalem. I got to do my do my do my week in the temple. But he's devoted. He's also got all these questions that he's dealing with. So he was on duty that week, and as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, this would have been most likely a once-in-a-lifetime experience. To have the lot chosen, because remember, you're one of eighteen thousand priests, and multiple priests. This whole grouping of Abijah would go and serve in the temple for this week. But he was the one priest who now, by lot, was、uh, the one chosen to go in and burn the incense.、Um, and while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him.、You、can imagine each of us would have been too. But the angel said, "Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer." Now let's just pause and take that in for a minute, because as a community who has been talking a lot about prayer and hopefully engaging a lot in prayer. These are words of assurance in the midst of the distractions, in the midst of the everyday junk that we deal with, week in and week out. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He must not go to God in the bar at the Plant Church. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Wow! Maybe he'll even like help the Giants win the Super Bowl this year. This guy's amazing. 
Now, what's happening here in the midst of this story is, of course, we're finding out about John the Baptist, right? Zachariah and Elizabeth are going to be giving birth to John the Baptist. Now, at this time in the Jewish Hebrew world, all right, they believed that before the Messiah would come again, that Elijah would come back and prepare the way. And so we're being told here that there's one who's like Elijah, who's probably going to take what was called a Nazarite vow. It was the same thing that Samson took. You know, you wouldn't cut your hair. You would refrain from all alcoholic beverages. There were certain other things that you would do. And and so this John is going to be born, and he's going to be like this Elijah who's going to come, and he's going to prepare the way. And so Zachariah and Elizabeth, I know that you've had a lot of doubts. I know that you've been just doing your thing day to day. I know that you've been devout and paying attention to me, but I know that you've been struggling in the midst of that. But I'm going to do something special through you. And what I do that's special through you is going to clear the way for the arrival of Jesus, the Savior, the King, the Messiah. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And this is where Zechariah just kills it. But God, how can I be sure? How can I be sure, God? I'm here to tell you from firsthand experience There's one way that you want to kill what God wants to do in your life right now. Ask for certainty and ask to be sure about the future. Because what God wants to birth in us as a community in the midst of this Advent season, it's going to have a lot of question marks. It's going to be very earthy. It's going to be downright dirty sometimes. It's going to be like hands-on. It's going to require blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to require us to engage in things that we don't want to engage in, that we'd rather just push away, say, forget it, just give me the Rockefeller tree. I don't want to have to like, deal with all this stuff to get there, right? But no, they go hand in hand. What God wants to do in the midst of this Advent season in your life, in my life, in our life as a church community, It's not filled with all kinds of certainty and assurance, but filled with a lot of questions and a lot of trust on our part. But Zechariah does what a lot of us are doing right now in our lives. But God, how can I be sure? God, I'll, I'll let you do that. I want you to do that in my life. I want you to do that in my life, but I need you to give me assurance first. Just give me a sign, God. Give me a sign. And Zechariah kills it. This beautiful moment as God says to him, this is what I'm going to do for you. And I know you can't see it yet, but trust me, this is going to happen. Verse 19, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. The beautiful thing here is the child is still going to be born. God is still going to do what he's promised to do through Zechariah and Elizabeth. Unfortunately, Zechariah isn't going to be able to speak about it as a participant in the midst of it. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. Amen. We should really listen to the women in our lives. They often get it in ways that we don't. How kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. So we've entered into this very earthy story filled with a lot of distractions, filled with some devoutness, filled with some faith, filled with a lot of half-doubts, a lot of question marks, a lot of tension. And then it's the midst of all of that earthiness that God promises that he is going to birth something, someone, that ultimately is going to prepare the way for the Lord, that will be a voice crying out in the wilderness. So we've entered into the story, and now we would perhaps do ourselves a good thing by actually stepping into the story and saying, how am I like Zachariah and Elizabeth right now? What are the very earthy things that are going on in my life? What are the distractions that are going on in my life? What are the things that I'd rather not deal with in the midst of this Advent season? Just give me Jesus. And Jesus is saying, okay, but give me your distractions and fully enter them because let's not forget that it's in the midst of those things. It's in the midst of those things that I'm doing my work. For years, so much of my Christian life was trying to push the distractions aside, right? It was kind of like stepping out of the distractions of this world and like doing the spiritual thing. I have to be careful when I say that, okay? Because there are moments when, yes, we need to like get out and just remove ourselves from the distractions. But yet at the same time, we need to be thoroughly embedded in the midst of the earthiness all around us. All of those things that we'd rather push away, instead, what if they become the very shoulders that we lean on that allow our gaze to see something else that God is doing? Back at the end of the summer, I was up in northern Michigan um, at my in-law's house. I'm not a, I'm not a gun guy, um, my father-in-law is a gun guy, and it was fun. It was fun shooting the guns. We pulled out the pistol. We pulled out the rifle. And, you know, when you're shooting a rifle, we're doing some target practice. And, and as we're doing the target practice thing, um, like when you're holding the rifle, it's nice to, like, have something to, like, rest on. Because as you rest on those things, then you're looking through the crosshairs in the midst of the scope, right? And, and without being able to rest on something, you're kind of all over the place, you know? You're like shaking a little bit because you're getting ready for the kickback. But when you allow yourself to rest on that, whatever it is, you know, a tree stump, something very earthy, you know, you just rest it on there. And that becomes the very thing that kind of balances you to have a gaze that sees something beyond. Um, And so much like Zachariah and Elizabeth just keep on keeping on in the midst of their questions, in the midst of their distractions, 
in the midst of their half-faith, in the midst of their doubts. They're resting on those things, and they just keep engaging in them, and they keep doing them. And God is working in the midst of that. Isn't that beautiful? God is working in the midst of that. And we can know that God is working in the midst of the very earthy things that we're dealing with. And as we continue to just go to God in prayer, just like Zechariah was told, Zechariah, God has heard your prayers. He's heard your prayers. So we can take our place in the story and we can see how God perhaps wants to work in the midst of the everyday things going on in our life right now. The beautiful thing is, is that we get to now continue this story on, right? Because Luke is telling this story for others to hear. We become participants in the midst of this, and we get to continue the story on for others. Now, we've had an open window into Zechariah and Elizabeth's life, thanks to Luke. Are we willing to allow others to have an inside window into our life? I mean, are we really willing to rub shoulders as as a missional church, right? Are we really willing to rub shoulders with those who need an inside window into what God is doing in the world? Where they can truly see that, you know what, yes, they would be able to say by looking at, at, at our lives, like, wow, look at those people, they are devout, they love God, but yet at the same time, They're also going to be able to say, but yet I see that they're real, just like me. They have a lot of questions. And in the midst of their faith, there's also doubts that are at work. But yet, they're just such a real, genuine person. And I see the way that they're trusting God. And I'm seeing something spectacular happen in their life. And if there's anything that other people want in this world, more than ideas... They want experiences that are real and true. And there's no greater experience that our world has had than when heaven came crashing into earth at the first coming of Jesus. And that very real experience is going to happen again when heaven comes crashing into earth whenever that happens in the future because we claim that Jesus is our coming king, right? And so in the midst of Advent, in the midst of the everyday earthy stuff, uh, all the distractions, all of the things that are going on, we're people who are saying, yes, we, we engage in all of these things, but we engage in all of these things because, because they become the very things that we lean into. And God does something in the midst of all of that. And ultimately, our lives birth something like John the Baptist. Our lives begin to birth a story that begins to say to other people, hey, psst, Prepare the way for the Lord. Look out, rough places are being made smooth. Watch out, hills are being flattened. And people get to look at your life and say, wow, look at that. Like, that person, like the rough edge, that person doesn't have any rough edges. Or maybe they do, but like they're just letting them just kind of be worn away. Man, when I'm near this person, I just get the sense that like, Hills are moved out of the way and this path is being paved forward as I watch this person's life, right? And so we let other people have an open window into our lives. So that's what we want Advent to be about. 
a very earthy kind of experience in the midst of all of the distractions, in the midst of all of the day-to-day things that you're dealing with now, in the midst of all the things that you'd probably rather just say, oh God, I don't want to deal with those right now. Just give me some certainty. Give me some assurance. And God is just saying, just give me your life. Give me your faithfulness in the midst of all of these difficult day-to-day things. Because in the midst of that, I'm birthing something that ultimately is pointing to another coming of mine when heaven once again comes crashing into earth. Let me pray for us, okay?